Hi everybody, Mike Wardrop from Encounter Church here and thanks so much for tuning into our podcast. Our prayer is that through this podcast, you could have an encounter with Jesus that will change your life. And now get ready for an inspiring message from our teaching team. It's great to be here with you um, and uh, to share the word with you um, that I hope... uh, is very relevant to the season that we're in, which is the season um, strangely called Advent in the life of the church. Uh, And Advent is a strange word. It sort of sounds like one of those religious words that doesn't have much uh, application beyond that. Um, Except you realise we use it all the time, I realise, without even noticing it. We talk about the advent of social media, or we talk about the advent of streaming services, because Advent means uh, coming. Uh, arriving, coming. And so this is a time in the year where we particularly stop and um, uh, look forward to celebrating the coming uh, of the Lord Jesus Christ. It has another dimension to it as well, but I'll talk about that uh, a little bit later on. But celebrating the coming of the Lord Jesus uh, immediately sends us to um, the Bible to look and to read the story, the narrative again and again uh, of how this happened. Now, if you go to the Gospel of Mark, uh, you'll be disappointed. It's not there. Uh, He comes straight in with Jesus arriving and encountering John the Baptist, right? If you go to Luke, you're going to get the whole story. You're going to get a lot. And there's going to be, you're going to be very excited. There's camels and there's Santa Claus and the whole works. It's very, very detailed. It's great. Um, But then if you come to the Gospel of John, it's a whole other show. And the Gospel of John, we think, was written about 30 years after the other Gospels. And it's like he doesn't go back to just the beginning of Jesus, uh, his life. He, he, it's kind of he goes back to the beginning of time. In fact, he starts his Gospel with the words, in the beginning. In the beginning. Now, where have you heard that before? It's way back in Genesis. It's like John is saying, I want to tell you the story of Jesus, but I'm going to go widescreen. I'm going to go way back to the beginning. And let me read you what he says. He says, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God and all things came into being through him. And without him, not one thing came into being. What has come into being in him was life, and that life was the light of all people. It's not so much, you know, a manger and, uh, <laughs> and the usual story. And no camels, no donkey. This really philosophical kind of language but it's there right at the beginning. And he goes on and on and on like this for about 18 verses, and then it kind of kicks into the story of Jesus' life. We have all the usual kind of adventures. So what's all this about? It is quite mysterious, and yet it's actually incredibly rich. He starts off, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. What does that mean? What's, what's the word? 
Well, actually, the word in the Greek is the word logos, right? And logos is where we get our word uh, logic or reasoning, logical thinking. It's from this word logos. And so it's actually used by all the philosophies at the time. There's a whole range of different philosophers. We've got the famous ones, Aristotle and Plato and Socrates. And Aristotle talked about the logos and talked about it in terms of wisdom. But there were all these other philosophies around. And we have many of their writings. And we look and see and realize they use this word as well. In fact, they had been using it for a long time before John gets to this particular point. And it's a really kind of interesting um, word that, that um, if you like, could be best summarized as reasoned discourse. Or you might even call it wisdom, the fullness of logical thinking. But what's this got to do with, you know, Jesus? Well, actually, what we find, it's very fascinating, is the predominant philosophy at the time is a philosophy called Stoicism. This is like when I talk about a dominant philosophy, I mean, this is kind of the worldview, the default thinking that most people have at the time of the coming of Jesus. Um, This is like beyond the Jews, right? It's Stoicism. I think, what's Stoicism? Well, we talk about being Stoic. A person who's been through a hard time and yet kept their chin up is often referred to as being a very stoic person. But stoicism is actually a really interesting philosophy because what they essentially believe is that this logos, right, this reasoned word pervades the whole universe. They kind of believe the whole universe is wisdom and reasoning. All of nature is shot through with this wisdom. And that to live a happy and content life is essentially to adapt yourself to the way things are. That a life lived in harmony with nature is like the highest virtue. So whatever happens, whatever providence uh, enables, whatever fate decides, whatever the way the universe is, is um, up to you to kind of adapt to. And, and, and just get along, just sort of accept and survive and to live a virtuous life. And there's a sense by which this stoic idea is actually quite prevalent, kind of in behind a lot of our thinking today. I hear this in the language a lot. I remember sitting years ago um, in, in a pub after work when I was working at Optus, and I was sitting around with about 12 friends from work, and we went around the group and said, what do we believe? Now, I was studying ministry at the time, and so I said, look, I believe in God, pretty standard Christian and all the rest of it. And we went around, a few other people said they didn't believe in like, God at all. They were total atheists. But most people just said, nah, I reckon there's something. And, and they described something in really interestingly broad terms. There's love, or there's, it's not like a man with a beard, but I reckon there's something. And it might be in the stars, or particularly the word universe came up a lot. The universe is sending you love. The universe is sending you messages. Have you this? So I went Googling. I Googled the words, um, the universe sends you. And half of Google came up, right? (laughs) And it's really interesting. I found this list, which is 15 ways the universe sends you messages. 
I would have thought this was really important. Why is this not in the newspaper anyway? The universe is sending you messages, signs to look out for. This is interesting. Number one, reoccurring experiences. Same thing keeps happening in your life. The universe is sending you a message. Dreams. Dreams are weird anyway, aren't they? Like, you know what I mean? We've forever, so this idea that, yeah, there's, a, there's some um, thing being conveyed to me through my dreams is, is interesting. Animals. I've read this. The natural world has many vessels through which it can send the universe's messages, and none are more important than animals. Repeated sighting of a particular animal or animal behavior can be a strong sign of unfulfilled desire or of things to come. All right. <laughs> Patterns of numbers, seeing the same numbers come up again. Synchronicity, um, losing, finding, or breaking objects, like the same. You know what I mean? The universe is sending you a message. It's sending. And it's. <laughs> are you ticking these off? It's amazing. Re recurring words and phrases, uh, song, music, lyrics. Song comes on, you know, just at the right time, and it's like it's sending me a message. So there's a sense by which, and, and it goes on and on and on, unexpected meaning. Now, there's a reason we do see a lot of patterns. We're pattern recognition machines. That's what humans are. We notice patterns, and when things come up again and again, we notice them. But this idea that there is an overarching a connected sense of the universe which has a sense of meaning about it, I think is actually a pretty strong worldview in our culture, like believe in God or don't believe in God. Saying there's absolutely nothing and no meaning whatsoever, being a pure materialist, that the only things that exist are things that can be chucked under a microscope and there's no rhyme or reason beyond that, is a pretty confronting way to look at life. And so most people want to see some broader sense of meaning and connectedness. And Stoicism sort of was right in the midst of this. That there is a natural world, but the way it is, is the way it is. And that you, we need to learn to live in harmony, to accept the way it is, as a way of finding peace and virtue and living the good life. Now, let me say right up front, some of this is pretty sensible. Like some of Stoicism makes a lot of sense because there's, there's little bits of it that I think are pretty good. That is, like, for instance, um, that is accepting reality. Some people live a deluded life. You know what I mean? Like they're going to make it at a particular level of musicianship <laughs> or they're going to live. <laughs> I promise you I'm not preaching directly at you tonight, Mike. <laughs> but, but, but you just receive it if it's there, okay? <laughs> there's, a, there's a sense, you know, there's, there's something good in Stoicism because at least it says, yeah, this is, you've got to look reality in the face, accept the way things are. And there is a maturity in that of learning to say, well, this is the givenness of things. This is what life is like. There's also, there's a really positive in it, I think, sense of living the virtuous life, seeking to live, you know, like an examined life. A life where you look and go, am I not just acting of the, the last whim of whatever instinct I have in whatever direction I happen to have it, 
but actually deciding to live deliberately. I think there's something kind of virtuous about that. The other thing that's in Stoicism that I think is, is pretty good is that there is an, an understanding it shares with Christianity that suffering can produce character. There are, there are other philosophies that say all suffering is bad and to be avoided at all costs. That, that leads to a life essentially of denial, of escape, and eventually drugs, as you try and block out reality, because reality involves a level of suffering. And Christianity says that suffering can become redemptive in your life. It can. It doesn't say all suffering is good, but it say it can, you can walk through the suffering with Jesus. You, it can be redemptive in your life. And Stoicism kind of has that idea within it as well, which is pretty, pretty good. But the thing that is limiting about it is that it's essentially all up to you. The universe is the way it is, and you need to adapt or die. And that's the despairing part. When I look at 15 ways the universe is sending you messages, it's like, what else have you got? Okay, so there's a pattern. I keep seeing dogs. What's your next line? You know what I mean? <laughs> What else? You, where are you, what are the dogs doing? Like, you know what I mean? They, they, there's a sense in Stoicism that essentially, if ev everything is material, and uh, there's the meaning is simply in what you can find. It's up to you to make meaning out of it all. But that sounds like a lot of pressure, and it actually, it actually doesn't, um, it doesn't really have any hope. The other thing that it means is that it means there's no justice. Because Stoicism says this is the way things are and so you need to accept it. And in the end, the Stoics were pretty intolerant of people with um, handicaps um, or disabilities uh, or anything like that because you just got to accept this is the way it is. And, and if you don't fit, then you don't fit with nature at its highest good. And that ended up being quite exclusive. But it also meant that those who didn't conform or weren't able to muster the energy to adapt to the circumstances around them just lost out. And they have no recourse for justice. There's no way of saying things aren't as they should be and it's wrong. Because Stoicism says, no, 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 no. It's up to you to adapt to the circumstances around about you. And there's no hope. The wonderful thing about this, though, is that in the Christian story, is that, that John comes along and he grabs this word right from the middle of that philosophy, this logos, this overarching ordered reason, he picks it up and he actually says, you know what, let me tell you the story of Jesus. Because in the beginning is this thing, the word, and it's with God. And it actually is God. 
It was in the beginning with God and all things came into being through it and without it, not one thing came into being. But he doesn't say it. He says him. Him. He says from the beginning of time, this this ordered logos, this thing, this speech, this word, this reason, all the way it has been there and all pervasive, but it's not an it. It's a him. And his story of Christmas is that the word becomes flesh. It comes. It, the advent of Jesus, he comes. And what that means is that the ordered universe isn't an empty material universe. It's a person. And you know the great thing about this is that a person comes for you. It's not just up to you to adapt yourself to the world and the way that it is. The pervasive spine of the universe is a person. A person who has come. A person who was there in the beginning. Right at the beginning of creation, and all things the Bible says were created through him and for him. In the beginning with God. And is active in creation. The word is not an impersonal logos. The word is a personal logos. It's the person of Jesus. The very found. This is his Christmas story. He says this base foundational power in the universe is a baby. Has come as a baby now into our world, was there at the beginning of time, will always be there at the beginning of time, and all creation came into being through him and for him, and he just like lightning in a clear sky, surprisingly has decided to enter into that which is made as a person in flesh. And it's beautiful. He says, What came into being in him was life. And that life was the light of all people. Not the knowledge light of all people, but the genuine flesh life of all people. And it's just, it's actually beautiful because it it means that that the longing that each and every one of us have, the longing for some level of order in the universe is is a longing actually for God. Whether we know it or not, it is a longing for God, for a person. Paul goes on about this in, in Romans 2. He says, even ever since the creation of the world, God's eternal power and divine nature, invisible though they are, have been understood and seen through the things that is made. What does that mean? It means that every person in the world looks around at creation and senses there's something behind all this. I keep seeing dogs. I keep hearing music. I, you know what I mean? I keep seeing numbers. I keep, there's something behind all this. But if all, if, the, the, all, if all that is behind it is simply the universe itself sending a message, then it's empty and that it's dark and it's material. And Christianity, or John in particular, says, yeah, all of that is God. And he's come for you. It's actually beautiful. It's absolutely gorgeous. And so therefore, we have something 
And that something is hope. New Testament scholar Vicki Balabansky writes this. She says, The hope of Jesus enables something beyond just an invisible, deterministic trajectory. We ha- uh, to have hope is to express dissatisfaction with what is and to cultivate a conviction that a better world is possible. Hope recognizes the goodness, virtue, and happiness are not found in ourselves alone, but dependent on the one in whom we hope, namely God. Stoicism, and I think the default thinking of a huge part of our culture, is that there's a vague sense of the universe that has some level of meaning, but that it's up to us to muster it and find it within ourselves. Christianity says that's a fruitless task. You can't do that. There's no hope in that. There's no hope out there and there's no hope in here. But your instincts are right. There's something, but it's a person and this person has come and come for you. One of the most powerful um, illustrations I've ever seen of, of these two different ways of looking at the world are, are in the movie The Shawshank Redemption. The Shawshank Redemption, I, I saw a poll the other day that voted like the number one favourite film, you know what I mean, of, of everyone. It sort of is always up there as a favourite film, an incredible story, well, of redemption. And there's this great scene, though. I, I actually looked up the script and found the exact words and, and there's a beautiful scene with, with Andy. Remember, Andy goes to jail for something he didn't do. And uh, while he's in there, he's sort of hoping to, to one day be found guilt, innocent, and, 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 or at least to get out. And, but in there, he meets Red. And Red's played by Morgan Freeman. And Red is a stoic, right? He says, you've just got to adapt to prison life. You've just got to accept this is the way It is. And the script reads this. It says, Red says to him one point, one day, let me tell you something, my friend. Hope is a dangerous thing. Hope can drive a man insane. You see, that's stoicism right there. That's the idea that if it's up to, that things are not going to change and it's just up to me to kind of make some entertainment for myself and meaning for myself, but this is my cell, this is my destiny, this is all there is. And he says, don't hope, Andy. You hope and it's not going to change and you'll go crazy. And the script in the next scene says this, Andy lies in the dark, studying the chunk of concrete in his hands, considering the possibilities and wrestling with hope. As you know the story, he breaks out. And he leaves and writes a message back to Red. And he writes this, Remember, Red, hope is a good thing. Maybe the best of things, and no good thing ever dies. You see, fundamentally, what John is saying is this. The word has come, and it's a person. It was with God in the beginning. It's with God now, and he has come into this world. So there's hope. 
It's not just, this is the way things are. It's not just, well, I guess I just have to adapt to it. The Christmas message from John is, the word became flesh. And you can have hope. There is hope. This is the word. It's interesting that, the, that we translate the word word because it's kind of strange that, that, that Jesus is the word, right? But it's actually about speech because what he's essentially saying is that, that when we speak, things happen. The Bible's full of what we call speech acts. And speech acts are things that when they're spoken, something actually happens. Something physically is created. Think about this, like you think about the words, I forgive you. I'm saying a word, but something's created, forgiveness, right? Think about the vows in a marriage, in a wedding, right? You say a word, but some, a covenant's created with legal uh, implications. So an act, when you say, I promise, a, something's created out of thin air through your speech, through your word, and see, the wonderful thing about God is, is, is the ultimate word. And so when God speaks, cre- the universe itself comes into creation. This is the word at work. God speaks as the word and everything there is comes into being. But you know what? There can be things in our life that a word can bring about that turns us into stoics. Sometimes you can hear a word in your life that will resound through your whole life. A word that might have been said to you by your parents, by your friend, by your enemy, by your coach, from a teacher. A word. The word might be no. The word might be fail. It might be foolish. It might be stop. It might be now or give. And that word echoes through your life. It's a word that's made you stoic. It's limited you. It's made you think, well, this is just the way I am. This is just the way things are. I guess this is just my lot. And I just have to make the best of it. And I want to tell you, this Christmas, there is another word. And that word is Jesus. This word is the word who came, through whom all of creation and your recreation can come. God has spoken a word to you. And that word is Jesus. And he comes. And because he has come, he brings hope. Hope. You do not have to be stoic. You can be Christian. You can say, it's not right the way things are. I won't have it anymore because God will have it for me. He has another path for me. He has another word for me, and it's personal. It's not a vague pattern. It's not a series of dogs. It's not a song that comes on the radio. It's a man, and he came as a baby, 
and he grew and he died for you. He bled. He bled and through his works, you don't need to work but can be saved and find salvation. In fact, not just you, the cosmos, the whole world itself finds it because of this word that God has spoken. Because Advent actually doesn't just mean Jesus coming. It actually speaks of the coming again of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's actually what it looks to, the coming in the future when Jesus will come uh, again. And all of the culture and all uh, of the communities and of the people and of the brokenness and of the tears and even climate change itself, we have the privilege of participating in the renewal of the cosmos, the transformation. We do not just say this is the way it is. We do not have to worry about disrupting. We can say there is a future hope, a reconciliation and a renewal of all things because of Christmas. This is John's Christmas story. This is the Jesus in the manger. God has spoken a word, and his name is Jesus, and he has spoken this word to you and to me. Let's pray. Thanks so much for listening. I pray that you were able to hear from God in a fresh way today. We'd love to hear from our listeners. To connect with us, or to support the work of Encounter, please jump on our website, encounteradelaide.com.au. And if you enjoyed this podcast, don't forget to jump onto iTunes, Spotify, or your podcast provider and give us a rating and review. Or share this message on your social media accounts and tag us at Encounter Adelaide. God bless. Have an amazing week.